0: Hello. Hello. All good? All right. Yeah, so you saw John Palpant was on the um, the sheet today when you walked in, the bulletin. And so he he got me to, you know, a couple weeks ago, he picked John, uh, Jim Smith, but he wasn't available this time, so he picked me. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think John caught a lot of flack for that, his... uh. What do you mean it's time to preach and you bring in a guest? What's that all about? All right. Let's get this set up here. All right. Let me just see if it works first. It works. Good. All right. So, this um, presentation today is going to be rather um, slide-extensive, okay? So that's why I had the flipper. And if you should happen to watch it on the video, all you're going to see is that up there because we don't have the, you know, the dynamic cameras going everywhere. So we had to put it up there. You won't see me on the the, uh, video, but you'll see that. To which I was really relieved because, you know, our hairstylist is called in sick today, so I <laughs> i don't know. You have so much to do here. Uh, <laughs> kind of overwhelm me. No, Okay, so this morning I want to talk to you about the Overcomers Clinic. The Overcomers Clinic. And I don't know, perhaps somebody has named a clinic somewhere, the Overcomers Clinic. I wouldn't doubt it. Because that word shows up in the Bible a lot, the overcomer, right? In the book of Revelation. Um, so what is the Overcomer's Clinic in my mind? What, is it, what am I telling you about here today? Well, I say an Overcomer's Clinic is a place where victorious people help others to also become victorious people. Okay? And basically, it's a church, I see that that's one way to look at the church. It's a place of people who are born again, people who are working together to learn to overcome the world, to be victorious, and then to pull people in to this clinic and help these people, okay? So what is an overcomer? Overcomer is somebody who overcame something, very simple, the ultimate overcomer is Jesus. Jesus said, I have overcome the world, the whole world. Praise the Lord. And how about us in the church? Are we overcoming this world? Are we finding victory over sin, over our discouragement, over our fears, over the rejection that we face every day, over the traffic? Um, you could keep going, couldn't you? The disappointment of our Chicago sports teams, you know? Um, no, that's, that's not that important, trust me. But are we finding victory in our lives? Um, and what is an overcomer? I mean, I put it this way it's somebody who, who just doesn't give up, it's somebody who's going to remain faithful and trust the Lord. Because, you know, if, if we have that in us that's going to keep coming to the Lord, we will overcome. Because he is a faithful God. I was thinking of this guy I saw on TV. You may have seen this guy. Nick Vujicic. I, I don't know if I said that right, but this guy, I kid you not, he has no arms and he has no legs. You probably, You may have seen him. And I... I was shocked when I saw that on TV, and they also showed him, like, diving into water and swimming around. I don't know how he did it, but here's a guy. He's got no arms, no legs, and if you were to think about that, how is he going to fare in life? How's he going to do? This guy is amazing. This guy is a motivational speaker. This guy preaches the gospel all over the world. He's like an apologist for the Christ. Um, He's married. He has children. (laughs) He's got no arms and no legs. That man is an overcomer. Praise the Lord. All right. I want to look at our text. First of all, Matthew chapter 9... When he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So this passage is really awesome because we see the heart of Jesus in this passage. Here's somebody who's the ruler of the world, but yet his compassion, his heart, is for the crowds. The crowds. And what bothered him was he saw that they were confused and they were helpless. And he saw that they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd, which if you know anything about sheep, that's a bad situation because sheep will pretty much die if they don't have a... A shepherd taking care of them. And so that was Jesus' concern was was these people. Okay? Um, and by the way, you know, we, we only need to look around us. God is at work in so many ways. And you know, so often we're thinking to ourselves, gee, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? But we need to be saying, what is God doing? What is God doing? And am I looking for that around me? And you know, these people like this, that are confused and helpless, no shepherd, they're everywhere around us. Everywhere around us. And today, the how many people are part of a broken home? You know, divorced. Single parents. Um, kids are... You know they're they're struggling with what happened in their family in their life. You know, and I know Sue and I both know this very well. Our families were broken families, and so and it affected us. So I know what I speak. Um, it's it's like your your heart, your feelings, your everything has been completely ripped out of you. So I sometimes you'll see a kid, you try and talk to him, and he's just completely numb. Because he's been hurt so bad. Okay. So when we got married, we decided that's not going to happen to us. There's not going to be any divorce. Even if it kills us. And, <laughs> and thank God we're still alive, so it's okay. <laughs> and then Jesus says, in light of these people, here's what I want you to do. Why, why am I pointing? I can do this. He says, pray. I want you to pray to the Lord to send workers out. Okay, so if Jesus is concerned about this, and if Jesus said that we need to pray about this, do you think we ought to pray about that? I think so. But the other thing is, you know, we want to pray like somebody go out there, right? (laughs) But as you pray... You know, don't be surprised if God says, all right, I got a worker. Let's go, me and you. So be ready. And if he does that, if he pulls you out there, you may feel a sense of intrepidation to those kind of things, kind of like just a regular guy coming up here to preach on a Sunday. Uh, But (laughs) as you go through, it's the best thing once you obey god it's always the best thing praise the lord so what can we do we can pray and we can be available all right here's the second verse i have and this will be all of the text second corinthians chapter 1 paul is writing blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and god of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also is our comfort is abundant through Christ. And you've got to love Paul's run-on sentences there. Uh, <laughs> that number four is pretty long. But Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 was describing... Um, something that took place that he experienced and the people with him did and if I'm not mistaken it was in Ephesus where the whole town turned on him and they absolutely were just convinced that they were going to die and uh, he, later on he says this happened to us because God allowed it so that we would not trust ourselves anymore but that we would trust in God who can raise the dead but what he says here is there's a God who is the God of all comfort. And so Paul said, we have a God of all comfort, and he comforted us. And because he comforted us, we are now able to comfort you. Do you see how that works? That's kind of a principle of ministry, Christian ministry, is that you receive from God... And then you're able to give it out to others. If you don't first receive it, you really don't have a whole lot to give. So, Paul is saying, receive the God of comfort. Receive his ministry, then you can go out and help these people that are the confused and helpless, the sheep without a shepherd. Okay, It's a principle of ministry. It's much like Peter and John... In the temple, Acts chapter 3. The blind, or not blind, he was just a, uh, a poor person, a beggar. He says, Give me something. I need, I need some resource, you know. That's me paraphrasing. Uh, Peter said to him, He says, Well, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And I missed that part of the story. He was lame. That was it. All right, now I remember. But the point being is, they could give what God had given to them. And I I thought it was very interesting when I thought about Peter. Because Peter walked on the water with Christ. And so Peter had received, and now Peter gave it to this man to walk. So we need to find comfort so that we can share it with other people. All right, now I want to tell you about some of the... Okay, here you go. Share the comfort that we have received. Now, some of the diagrams I'm going to show um, are kind of derived from this ministry, Grace Fellowship International. Uh, There's a website. It's founded by Dr. Charles Solomon. Um, I... I built every one of these on my computer, but I took some of the concepts from this ministry, okay? This is a ministry that has helped so many people. Um, Sue and I have been a part of it. I know Grace, I've shared it with her. Uh, It's made a huge difference for me because it's biblical. And you might be saying, I don't know who this is. Well, how about an endorsement? Look at this. You know this guy? Charles Stanley, yeah. So he gives testimony. This, um, uh, in sharing the life-changing principles of the believer's identification with Christ, he has had a profound impact on the lives of many Christians here in Atlanta. My endorsement and support is evidenced by our scheduling a five-day workshop at our church. And so this ministry, Grace Fellowship International, this isn't some promo for them, <laughs> It's just, you know, sometimes it's good, you know, the beggars share the bread, right? So we, we can talk about things that help us, and we can share them. Um, there's written material, there's books, there's tracts, there's workshops, seminars, conferences. Uh, there's even a whole church-wide program that they have now. It's a 50-day thing on Christ-centered spiritual growth. And so these are things, you know, we could think about and we can pray about. You know, whatever's going to equip us to get out there and share Christ with people. So now that being said, let's look at some spiritual anatomy. Because if we're going to have a clinic, we have to take an anatomy course, right? That's right. No, but we're, we'll stay out of psycho. No psychology today. We don't want that. All right. This is a human being. Notice I didn't say man. I'm trying to be nice to all the people who are sensitive to that stuff. It's a human being. And this is the original design. In Genesis chapter 1, we know that God created man. God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Okay? And what is it that we know about God from the New Testament? in particular, that God is a trinity. God is the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Much like the clover out there in the field. You know, they got three leaves that come off. That's God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's one clover, but it's three distinct leaves that come out. Well, guess what about man? We're made in God's image, so you think that we might have some kind of representation of the likeness of God? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that we are made of also eternity, body, soul, and spirit. Okay? And this is where it gets confusing to people because they don't always understand that soul and spirit have a totally different, uh, it's a different leaf of the clover. All right? And we'll talk about that. Your body, we know, relates to the environment. You can touch it, you can smack it, you can whatever you want to do. Well, not whatever. <laughs> All right, the soul is really kind of the psychological. Um, it has a lot to do with really your personality. And you can see right here the mind, emotions, and will those are found in our soul and these are faculties that we have mind, emotion, and the will and in the original state when God created Adam and Eve before the fall mind, emotion, will were in complete balance and it was perfect. Everything was great, right? And so it's a lot like that teeter-totter two kids are on one goes up and then the other pushes up and it counteracts and so the mind and the Emotions uh, were in balance, and we'll find out after the fall that whole thing goes wacko, completely. (laughs) Okay, then then the spirit. The spirit is what relates to God. It makes sense, right? God is spirit, and you see that it's it's not a hundred percent clear distinction, but. The spirit affects the soul, and the soul affects the body. Is that true? Can your emotions affect your body? Absolutely. Should have felt my heart before I came up here. I'll tell you what. All right. And then here's the kicker what is in the center of the life, in this anatomy diagram we have, is what provides the power to this whole being. Okay, now in the original creation, this question mark was God himself. All right, after the fall, different story altogether. So now, let's see what sin did to mankind. This is a fallen human with the sin nature. And Ephesians 2.2 2 said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned. This is how you and I enter the world, okay? You didn't know this, but it's the truth. The Spirit, uh, wait a minute, the Spirit relates to God. Oops, yeah, I did go the wrong way. All right, the Spirit relates to God, but now it has been cut off, and this Spirit now has become dark, okay? Okay? And that's what God told Adam and Eve. If you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that you eat of that, you're going to die. And so when they ate, did they die physically? Not immediately. They eventually, it eventually got them, didn't it? But the moment that they ate of that fruit, they sinned, and they died to God. Their, their spirits died, okay? And so that's, that's a big deal. All right. And then when that happened, um, <laughs> very interesting, who's in the center now? Somebody said me. Huh? Self, absolutely, yeah. Some people might think Satan, uh, and really Satan is all for this, <laughs> but it is self. Now self is trying to run the program, do the work, provide for itself, survive in the universe, and it's not a good thing, and what happens there, the mind, emotions, and will, as I said, they go haywire. Now you got this teeter-totter going up and down, and it's, it's kind of like some 300-pound guy gets on there, and, and then you got Linnea on the other side, you know? <laughs> There you go. Or even worse yet, you ever been, uh, you remember as a kid, you're on the teeter-totter with some rascally kid, and you're going up and down, and then when you go up in the air, he jumps off, and you, and you slam down. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what kids do. Kids are rotten. <laughs> we love kids, but, man, some are not as good as others. All right. So now, we're out of sync, right? And it's evident by what happened to Adam right afterwards. He suddenly had some emotions that were completely out of bounds, right? He, and he said, God said, why are you hiding? I was afraid. <laughs> he had never been afraid of God before, but now he was so fearful and you see the emotions so out of bounds. It, it's amazing. And not only that, but with self in the middle, now these people have become so self conscious. You know, it's all about self and how my appearance and, and all this kind of thing. Um, as you notice, Adam, he hid because he, he knew he was naked all of a sudden. Um, very self conscious. So now you see they become very much what you read in Matthew 9. People without a shepherd, they were confused and they were helpless. So things were completely out of joint. All right, before we look at the, the redeemed, the Christian, I want to talk about one thing It's called rejection. That's just a regular word that we all know in the dictionary. Um, but Charles Solomon uh, defines rejection as the absence of meaningful love. And it's kind of the pass-it-along syndrome. Those that have been rejected will then often reject other people, uh, which it really goes around all over the place. And just so you know, in no way is this saying that Christ died for rejection. That's not the point of this. But rejection is a consequence of the fall. And one thing about it is it can often be something that triggers somebody to reach out for help and come to Christ. Uh, But the other thing is, once you become a Christian, rejection can leave scars in you, and your emotions way damaged. And so it it can, if you let it, if you don't know what to do with it, it can keep you from God's best. God wants you to live an abundant life, As we said, the Overcomers Clinic. He wants us to be overcomers. But if we don't deal with this kind of thing in our lives, it can just strangle the very life right out of us. Okay? And so it's this principle that every person who's born into the world has basic needs. The need to be loved, the need to be accepted, the need to belong. Those are nice words, aren't they? (laughs) I always wanted to feel that my whole life. Um, So I hope you love me and accept me and I belong to you. So I'm sure you feel the same. And when this doesn't happen, it can cause emotional damage. And I think the first rejection took place right after they ate the fruit. And I think it it was when Adam, when God came and said, What did you do? (laughs) And Adam said, it was the woman. <laughs> she had me do it. So right there, the blame game. You know, he's, now he's dumping on the wife instead of taking, uh, you know, responsibility for himself. Okay. But now in our lives, rejection can come in a couple ways. Some of it is very obvious. Um, if a kid is abused, uh, totally neglected, um, Other kids, you know, on the playground, pick on them. Some kids get brutally picked on. And they receive that as the absence of meaningful love. And you can understand why. Okay? Um, Other times, it's more subtle. It's a covert, you know, like covert ops. It's very subtle. It comes into your life. Uh, One such way... And I don't know what Grace would say about growing up in a Christian family. But one way that rejection can hit a kid is through overprotection of your children. Right? And so, you know, the other kids are able to go out in the car, you know, and drive around all over the city. And know, as Christian uh, parents, we love our kid. We don't want to take any chance. You're not going out and driving around the city or going to some crazy Britney Spears concert or something. You're not going, okay? And, and we can be fully intending to love her and protect her, but yet meaningful love. She's not receiving that as love. She's receiving that as, you don't trust me enough as a person to do these things. And so... Well intentions can sometimes still be taken the wrong way And because of the fall That's what happens to us We've got to learn to deal with that Here's a great one The story of Joseph in the Bible uh, His father Jacob favored Joseph, right? And so the other brothers felt rejection Why did they like him, you know? Um, he had the coat of many colors Kind of like Michael. Hold your pamphlet up. Yep, see, he's got one with colors. How did he get that? (laughs) I printed one with colors, and I said, I'm going to give that to Mikey. I didn't intend on embarrassing you, but every time I speak, he says to me, Mikey says to me, don't embarrass me, please. (laughs) But we love you, Mike. We You belong to us. How's that? Um, Joseph. We were talking about Joseph. So the brothers felt rejected. So what did they do? They passed it on. They rejected Joseph. Joseph goes down to Egypt. Um, So now it's a big ordeal in his life. And you know, you can only imagine how Joseph suffered because of that. So. But Joseph had to deal with those feelings. He had to deal with those damaged emotions. And you see that play out toward the end of the book of Genesis. Uh, Many tears and struggles. uh, But what you find is that Joseph forgives. And it's to his own good that he did so. Okay? Praise the Lord. All right, enough about rejection. This is going to be a Christian... However, this is a carnal Christian because there's still self in the center. And what you see is that now Christ is in the life. And that C, by the way, Dave, is not the Cubs, okay? That's that's for Christ, all right? And so now, look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 6. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, okay, this is anatomy of Christian anatomy. His Spirit connects to our spirit. And so now our spirit is alive once again. Remember before it was dead. Okay? Oops, wrong one. And then Proverbs 20 says, The Spirit of man is a lamp of the Lord. And so God's Spirit will connect with our spirit. Okay? Now, in the Spirit, there are some things that are true. Whether you know it or believe it, if you're a Christian, this is true of you. First of all, you are saved. And if you are counseling somebody, those hurt and depressed people and scattered people, this will be one of the first things you want to determine. Are you born again? Are you saved? John 3.16 makes it very clear how to get saved. If you are saved, do you have assurance? Romans ten thirteen tells us you can have assurance. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? And a lot of people struggle with assurance of their salvation. You know, I'm sure that we've all at one time or another said, Man, I can't believe I did that. Am I really saved? <laughs> but if you've done these things, yes, you are born again. Security. You need to be secure in your faith. And in Christ, in the Spirit, we are. Um, John 10, people have different thoughts on this, but I believe the alliance stance is, uh, and I agree with it. Uh, John 10, Jesus said, um, I give my sheep eternal life, and nobody will snatch them out of my hand. Nobody. Okay, so that's security. If you're born again, you have security you can be very happy and rest in that. Next of all is acceptance. And this is the one that I love so much. And I found when I got saved, this is what I needed more than anything, was just acceptance. And I love Ephesians 1.6. Uh, NIV, NASB are fine. But I love the old King James here. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, whereby we are accepted in the beloved the beloved is jesus in him we find acceptance and so rather than our whole lives spending trying to be acceptable to people we can rest in this acceptance and just live a life of joy about the whole thing then in the spirit there ought to be a total commitment made Okay, and this will eventually, if somebody is saved, this will come up to them, and they will have to make a choice. Am I going to be totally committed to the Lord or not? And most people will at least make an initial commitment to Christ because they see that that's the way. Romans 12.1 says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. So this should take place. And hopefully it'll take place as soon as you get saved. It doesn't always. Um, and then life begins to be uh, that glory-to-glory glory thing, you know. Um, you, you're totally committed, and then you, you face a crisis, and then you have to make a decision. Wait, yes, I'm committed to this. And so you have a life of making commitment to the Lord and renewing your commitment to the Lord, Okay. Praise the Lord. Then, but in the soul, okay, so here's the problem, is self is in the center. This is true of us in the spirit, but the soul still can have some problems. And here's one, this soul can be feeling inferiority. Okay, I'm not good enough. I had this, my whole life I felt this, by the way. My father was very domineering. Um, Very strong man. Uh, Just, you know, I I could go on and on, but he, he, uh, I I never felt like I was totally what that he expected of me. He was a good man, don't get me wrong, but yet, you know, in the fallen nature, people make mistakes. And later on, we learn to forgive if we really surrender to Christ. Insecurity speaks of its own. Inadequacy. When God calls you to something, are you going to go follow through? Um, Moses is a great example. When God called Moses, you know, Moses wasn't looking for um, something to do for God, you know. Moses was just tending sheep. The burning bush was there. He went over to see it. And God said, now I got your attention, Moses. (laughs) Take your shoes off kneel down, I have something I want to tell you you're going to do. He gives you an assignment. And so as a Christian, we're going to get assignments in our lives. And at that point, you know, are we going to receive what God said in faith? And what did Moses do as soon as God told him that? Well, I can't speak. I can't do anything. Why don't you send Aaron, my my brother or whatever, So we have to, you know, learn how to get past that. In the soul, we can feel guilt, real and imaginary. Real guilt is when we sin, we should feel guilt, okay? People say, oh, you should never feel guilt. That's wrong. If you sin, you should feel guilt. But then we have an advocate with the Father. We have the blood of Christ, and we can confess it and be done with it. And now after that when you start to feel guilt about that thing you messed up, um, it begins to be in the the realm of the imaginary (laughs) because it's already been dealt with. God took it away. And some people feel guilty for things that aren't even their responsibility. This happens a lot in divorce. Um, My parents, I told you, Sue and I, both our families broke up. And um, for my parents, family I think I felt a bit of guilt you know that was there something I could have done to keep my family together you know and I think this is a very common thing from people I've talked to that have come from broken homes but that's not a real guilt that's imaginary because it's, it's not my responsibility to keep my parents together okay and then worries doubts and fears um, say need we say any more do you ever guys ever feel that? I never have. but uh, <laughs> So then you take all these problems in the soul and you throw in there the problems from the outside, family, money, work. And those things all come in. Remember, this is the power place. This person doesn't have the power to deal with these things. And so what happens is this. You can deal with these problems in one of three ways. First of all, you can take it out on other people in hostility. And that's where we see the works of the flesh. You're just gonna take all this and you're gonna dump it out. Or, you can take it out on yourself, in your mind, and your emotions. A lot of people get depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. Um, just because of this whole thing that's gone on here, this whole system of not being able to deal with it. The third way is you can take all these things and resolve it at the cross of Jesus Christ. One of three ways. And I like how it was put, um, some people do this, some people turn inward. So you can put it like this. Some people get ulcers, and some people give ulcers. Okay? I think, well, it's probably debatable. I think I'm a get ulcer kind of a guy. And I think my wife is more of a give ulcer kind of person. Right? Because she's, she's very strong. And I'm sensitive. Okay? Alright. Okay. Okay. And then, these things can spill over to the body, as we said. Tension, headaches, nervous stomach, rashes, insomnia, fatigue, spastic colon. And so, I think next week Dave is preaching. So Dave, there. that's what you're going to be ahead of you there. I'm just kidding. You You can trust the Lord. Even I made it through. All right. <laughs> All right. So... Oh, I want to go back. So, the key here, the key problem is this. What the answer is, is these two have to do a switch. You put Christ in the center, and suddenly you're going to have some answers here. Praise the Lord. So, how do we get there? This is a line diagram. Um, And these are two lives. You have the life of Adam... It's going downward. Why is it going downward? Because it was headed toward the lower realms of Hades, right? Um, And this is Christ's life. And notice two arrows. There's no beginning. There's no end. Okay? And so, when we were born, we were born into Adam. This is a lifeline that you and I were born into. We were born into Adam's family. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't have, I don't have the picture. I shared it in Sunday school, but I don't have it. Um, I wonder whoever made that show, The Adam's Family, if they had some biblical knowledge. They probably did, because, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Family. I always say, if you think your family is messed up, read the Book of Genesis, because they're. There's some messed up people in there. All right, so here's Adam, and all these people here were, were children, okay? And here you are, way down here. And there's your father. There's your grandfather. There's your great-grandfather. And it keeps going all the way back to Adam. And so what's interesting is that everybody in this room, to some exponential degree, we're all related. Isn't that weird? Don't think of that. Um, And so every one of us have, well, I'll leave that on there. Every one of us have, uh, we originated here, okay? And so here's the deal. When Adam sinned, where were you and I? It's not a trick question. It kind of is, yeah. Where were we when Adam sinned? We were in Adam. We were in Adam. There you go. We were in Adam. So what, what happened when, uh, if your uh, grandfather died before he ever had children? Would you be here? You would be here, no. And so when Adam sinned, we sinned, Okay. Christ's life, he never sinned. And the beautiful thing is, at one point in time, he showed up on earth to go to the cross. And his work on the cross gives us the ability to be set free from Adam. Colossians 13 says, He has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. That is, he took us out of the, the destructive life of Adam... And he brought us into eternal life with Jesus Christ. And by the way, we have eternal life right now. This is not something you get when you die. You, if you're a Christian, you are on this line right now. Okay? So there we are. We are crucified. Somebody want to read Galatians 2.20? You got it, Grace? Galatians two twenty and somebody read Romans six six <laughs> What do you got, John? Got Romans 6, 6. Go ahead. Go ahead. Amen. Our our old self, that is, uh, King James said the old man, the old man being the life of Adam, was crucified with Jesus Christ. Do you have it? In a way. Moody gave me a great Bible
1: with uh, nope. no verses.
0: What? <laughs> 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 just chapters. So I'm I, I that. All right, who can do the Galatian? Sue. Oh, go ahead, Peg. Amen. So it says it's something that has already taken place. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay? This really happened. The Bible is true. This is what happened to you and I. The moment you got saved, you were instantly crucified 2,000 years earlier. Okay? (laughs) And so um, my wife, Sue, she actually went to one of these conferences at Charles Solomon was teaching. And afterwards, she went up to him. You remember telling me this? She went up to him and she said, I have a question for you. He said, go ahead. She said, I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but it's just not, I'm not getting it. It's just, I don't feel it or anything. And what do I do? He says, well, it's very simple. You need to have a funeral. Right? Isn't that why we have funerals, so that we can celebrate and help us to deal with the issue that happened? Um, and so he didn't really mean have a funeral, but it was the, the idea, the concept that yes, you need to celebrate the fact that you have died. Okay. Uh, Watchman Nee, the the great uh, Chinese teacher from China. That would be why he's Chinese, by the way. All right. <laughs> he shared. He shared how uh, one of the brothers, when he discovered this um, this spiritual truth about himself, he went running through the city over there in China. I died, I died, I died. Over and over and over again, he just kept running. And um, so that's what we need to do. So if we are a believer, this did happen to us. Praise the Lord. And so now... As we take that truth we just saw and we identify with it, that is, you know, you can say a lot of words for that. As we start to count upon it, as we believe it, as we proceed based upon it, you know, it starts to get in us, and faith actually does something. And here, it's beautiful, we have Christ in the center, all right? Do you think you could find Philippians over here, Philippians? You don't have it. Vicky's Vicki's going to help me. Philippians, all right. And who wants John 15? John? Big John for John 15. Okay. And so you see here, self has been crucified with Christ. And now we're letting Christ be the Lord of our lives. In the center, the power. And so now in the soul, with Christ there, we can have his mind. Philippians two five. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Amen. Your attitude or another version say your mind. Okay, then Vicky look at Philippians four, six through seven. Amen. so we can have His peace. Nice, and then Philippians four thirteen. You're right there. You might as well keep going. Four thirteen. That's right. His strength now. Philippians four nineteen. His resources. Go ahead, John. John 15, 11. <laughs> it's all the Bible, right? Uh, so you, you. There you go. We can have his unspeakable joy. Praise the Lord. And so what you see is everything that's true of the Spirit, now we can begin to believe it and experience it. Isn't that great? And then what we find coming out of us is what? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will never come from self. What comes from self is the works of the flesh. But from Christ comes the fruit of the Spirit. And then the other last thing is our body. Many times our health can actually improve. I know it sounds like a self-help thing, doesn't it? But it's true. Sometimes people get saved, um, I mean, get healed uh, as they appropriate this truth in their life. Or, as it says, Psalm 42, the help of our countenance. And, you know, you've probably seen this over the years. Somebody who's very, very sick, very weak, but yet they have just a glow about them. Why? Because they have Christ in them, and that life is just pouring out. And so these kind of things, as we learn this for ourselves, see, we have the fruit coming out of us, and now we can go and share it with other people. Receive His comfort, and share His comfort to others. Oh, praise the Lord. Now I'm going to... Skip through all this. Just to say, Peg, I gave you some props here. Because <laughs> this is symbolic of the very life of Christ. Um, the last step in the journey that Israel had was crossing the, um, the Jordan. It was in flood stage. Before the, the God would part the waters, they had to step into it. Like we heard recently, Peg said, both feet in. And actually, Brother Ray said to me, he says, I think we should adopt that phrase as sort of our slogan for the church, both feet in. And I thought that was pretty cool. So what happened here was they stepped into the river, which was dangerous. It was in flood stage. Could have died. And what happened, both feet in, Then God backed up all of that water. And by the way, you can't make this up, okay? The people who wrote the Bible over 3,000 years, they can't make this up. It backed up, it says, all the way to the city of where? Adam. That's just insane to me. And then the water that went down, where did it go? It went to the Dead Sea. Now, you can't make this stuff up. This is amazing. <laughs> it's orchestrated, right? The Bible is orchestrated by God. And every, every word upon the pages of the book is intended to bring glory to Jesus Christ. There's that life of Adam. My daughter thought that was funny. Very good. There's a life of Adam. Okay, so um, this is in your notes. Uh, We're really out of time. I did it again. But um, this is in your notes. This is like a pattern prayer, much like the Lord's Prayer. Um, If you want to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word, I have no problem with that. I've done it myself. But it was really a prayer to teach us uh, some truth. And so this this is a prayer that will help us learn to appropriate our identity in Jesus Christ. To get him in the center, okay, and stop doing it ourselves. And uh, I'll let you read that on your own time. So I'll leave you with one illustration. And by the way, Gary is going to cut the grass today. Yeah, one point for the men. How about that? It's like five, It's like four hundred to one. Ah, oh, one and a half. Darn. Okay, okay. Jeez. <laughs> By the way, Peg cannot do the both feet in because you know why? Because she has peg legs. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Ah. Uh, okay. So here. I'll leave you with an illustration, and this has to do with mowing the lawn. I'm sorry. I'm always harping on the lawn. Um, our mower was broken, and it's a big, nice mower. It's a Z-Master Toro, and it's 62-inch deck, and that thing can really do a job. Well, it was broken, and the grass was getting higher and higher. So my wife and I came out here. We each had a push a lawnmower, and we thought, let's do the front here. It shouldn't be too bad just to do the front. Well, we got five acres here. For three hours, we did the front. Three hours. And we just barely got up the hill doing that. Okay? And so, (laughs) um, it's kind of like walking in the flesh. Okay? It's kind of like going along with that lawnmower. Um, And, a lot of times we do what's comfortable to us. Now, in this this case, we had a reason to do it, okay, because we didn't have a big, nice lawnmower. So, but quite often, people will do things because it's comfortable. Maybe, for instance, a scenario where, gee whiz, I'm afraid to ride on that big mower. That thing's scary, and it can be. So I'm just going to use the push mower. So you could say that person was out mowing in this push mower. They are totally committed to getting that grass done, just like we can be totally committed to following Christ. Okay? But if you mow with a push mower, I kid you not, I think it would take, you would mow three, day, three hours a day for a week, and I don't think you'd be halfway done. Okay? You can be totally committed to mowing the grass, but yet you don't have the power to get it done. And so, if you were smart, you'd say, let me learn how to drive that big tractor. Okay? Because now you're still totally committed to the Lord, but now you have the power to get the job done. And that's the same thing in the Christian life. When we're relying on ourselves, it's like pushing that little mower around. We transfer, we allow that... um, Switching our lives for Christ to be in the center. And suddenly now we're on that big tractor. And one thing that was beautiful. I wish Mike Rourke was here because uh, this is funny. But Mike Rourke stepped up at our last work day. And he said, you know what? I want to learn how to drive that big tractor. See, now that takes faith, right? That's like the priest up there stepping into the water. And... Um, so, Mike gets on there, he learns how to drive it. And then, uh, sure enough, <laughs> I was over there by the creek. Mike was going crazy and lost control, and he drove the mower right across the creek bed. But luckily, I don't think any rocks got hit. But, you know, but thank God that he was willing to do that. In our lives, whatever God's doing, he's working all around us. And. Are we willing to say, hey, I want to try that big tractor. I want to try it. I'm going both feet in, and I'm going to see the Lord work in my life. Well, praise the Lord. Ready? Where am I going? Wrong way. Benevolent offering. All right, let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) got to go the right direction. That's the problem. Don't, don't let Mike Rourke show you where to go. All right. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Pray that we would go out of here uh, rejoicing, that this whole week we'd be full of your joy. We'd be letting you work in us. We'd be going out in your power and not our own, and we go out in obedience. We thank you and commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.